It's <laughs> very quiet, boom. Good morning. So uh, it is good to be here. I hope you guys are excited. It's Sunday. <laughs> so uh, Easter is coming in two weeks, right? So next week is Palm Sunday, and then we have kind of Easter week, and we have Easter. And one of the things I really want to get out there for you guys, um, we love to, um, we, we focus our baptisms two times a year, primarily. It's usually at Easter, and then it's at Goddard Park. And either one of those is just a really special time. So if that is something that you have just been kind of um, having a conversation with God about, about um, getting baptized, we would love to see you guys uh, let us know that so that uh, we can make you a part of that on Easter morning. Um, in the, traditionally, in the, in the Christian church, the, um, throughout the history, Easter was always a time for baptism. And if you can imagine, you know, people would go out and they'd, they'd always, way back you know, at the beginning, they would find like this living water that was important, so moving water. So it's like a mountain stream. And they're around this time of year that they would um, baptize people. So, you know, you know why they were so committed back then, you know, <laughs> to join the church, you got to go through that to get in. So um, we don't do that. We actually have a heated pool, so you don't have to worry about it. I've done that once, and the shock on people's faces is, um, is uh, worth it. But uh, anyway, wanted to get that out there to you guys. Um, God is good. I know that he has stuff going on in our lives all the time, but if that's part of a conversation that you're having with him, uh, sure, you know, make, make sure to let, let us know about that. Um, this morning, we're kind of wrapping up this mini-series. We've been looking at uh, John 15. And I hope you guys are ready. You guys ready? Because this is, this is the big one. This is kind of where all of this has been going. Um, but John 15, where Jesus is talking to his disciples about, um, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And uh, an amazing passage of scripture. Um, today, we're gonna kind of wrap that up as we move into Easter next week. Uh, I have a question for you, you guys. I want you to think back when you were kids, do you guys remember the first time that you asked this question, can I go to the bathroom, and you received this answer, may I go to the bathroom? <laughs> remember that, right? That clarification, that point of clarification between the cans and the mays, right? And it, probably not the last time it happened either, was it? You know, it was like a regular part of your growing up. Can I, oh yeah, may I do, because can is about ability, may is about permission, Right? Can is about, having, uh, is about actually having the, the capability of doing something, um, but then may is about being allowed to. Now, in Jesus, when he's talking in John 15, we've seen that he's talked about a, a couple of things so far. One is that we need to be paired to him, right? He is the vine, we're the branches. We need to be paired to him in terms of we need to enter a relationship with him where we are completely devoted to him in the way that he is devoted to us. And then we also need to be paired by him, right? In, in the sense of we need to have those things that are keeping us from that life and the joy that he intends for us. We need to have those trimmed away. So paired away from our lives. Um, but right in the middle of these 11 verses that we've been looking at, he tells us why. Why these things are important. And it has everything to do with can and may, right? So stand with me. We're gonna look at these words in John 15, five that Jesus spoke to us right in the middle of this passage. And he says, I am the vine. Now, this isn't the first time he said, I am the vine. He started out in verse one. He said, I am the true vine. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. He is the only true vine. He's the only one that we get life from. But he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who abide in me, that's that pairing with him. And I in them, they bear much fruit. 
But then he says this, and apart from me, you can do nothing. And we look at that, we go, well, can or may, right? Because sometimes I think we have the idea that God actually keeps us from being able to do certain things in our lives by his own authority. He doesn't let us. And so he's kind of messing with our lives. And we have this idea that God comes in, he messes with our lives by his power and his authority. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? He says, no, apart from me, you cannot do anything. You can do nothing, right? And so the reality is, is what Jesus has been saying is, you know what? God wants us to have this life. God wants us to have this fullness of joy. God wants us to be fruitful in him, but apart from him, we cannot do that. We're not able to. So we've looked at abiding, abiding in Christ. We've looked at that idea of releasing to God to be able to prune those things away in our life. Today's message is titled empowering, enabling, allowing, giving the ability, the capacity, empowering. Amen? You guys ready? Okay, let's talk to God. Father, um, thank you. You have told us about Jesus. You've shown us how important it is that our lives are nothing. We, we find all of our life simply by, by just resting in him, just, just abiding, staying attached to him. You said that's all we need. But then you've also shown us how important it is that we let you, our father, come in and trim off those, those extra branches by your own sovereignty, by your own, in your own wisdom to take those events in our lives and those perspectives and all those pursuits, those things that we think are so important and to just to trim those off so that you can make room for this incredible fruit, this amazing fruit that we can't produce on our own, but in you we can produce. It's what we were made for. But Father, we, we have a question. We need to know how. We need to know, we need to know how do we move from that place where we're not producing anything to that place that we're enabled to, where we can. We have the capacity. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear the words that you're gonna speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, I know that you're here this morning. I know that you're right here in this room. Jesus, you have said that when we gather in your name, that in, in a very real sense, you're there walking in our midst and we're gathered. We're, we're here to listen and to hear and to seek you, to find out what is this life that you've, you've meant for us? What is this fullness of life and fullness of joy that you have for us? So, so be here this morning. We know you're here, but be manifest yourself to us. Let us see you and hear you and know you're speaking to our lives. Be here, change us so that we are very much different when we leave this place and when we came in. We pray it in your name. We pray it in your name, Father, because yours is the glory and the honor. We pray it in your name, Jesus, because your name's above every other name. We pray it for your glory, Holy Spirit, because you are the one doing these things, working these things in us. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So uh, in the Greek language that uh, the New Testament was written in, some of you guys know that, some of you guys didn't know that, but it was written way back when, and Greek was kind of like English. It was a trade language, everybody spoke it. So they wrote the New Testament in Greek. And in the Greek language, there is a word that we actually know fairly well because of words in English that have been made, you know, taken from it. So the word is dunamis, and uh, we get words like dynamite and uh, dynamic, dynamo, uh, and it means power. 
It's this idea of ability, this idea of capacity, the can. Um, and, and it is the word that Jesus uses when he says, uh, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? You're not able, you don't have the capacity to do anything. Now, we look at the literal side of that and we go, well, yeah, we can, right? I mean, I, we do stuff apart from Jesus all the time. In fact, it's the fact that we can do things apart from Jesus. It seems, you know, in this life, we seem to be able to get away with a lot that's, that's separated from Jesus. It's, it's that fact that often gets us in trouble. And I would say it keeps us further from him than almost anything else is this, this ability that we have to actually do things apart from Jesus. In fact, if every time that I tried to do something that wasn't aligned to Jesus or wasn't you know, of him, if every time I tried, it got shut down, how easy would it be to figure out the life that God wanted for us, right? Because if I tried to lie and I just couldn't pull it off, right? Well, that'd be easy. If, if I wanted to act out of greed and, and, and I just couldn't get there with it, right? If every time I wanted to hate somebody, love just welled up in front, inside of me, right? That'd be easy, It'd be easy to figure out what God wanted for me and it'd be easy to do it because if it just got shut down. And so this idea that, you know, uh, if that was the case, if we couldn't do anything, anything apart from Jesus, but that's not the case. We can, we can do things apart from Jesus. So we ask, we say, well, then what, what in the world is he talking about? Well, in the verse just prior to the one that we read, in verse four, it says, abide in me and I in you, just as a branch cannot, and again, that's that word dunamis, the, the power, that capability, cannot bring forth fruit of itself unless it's abiding in the vine, neither can you unless you're abiding in me. Now, a branch can do all kinds of things apart from a vine, can't it? It can sit there, right? It can rot. It can grow uh, lichen and mold, and it, it can do all kinds of stuff. It can get stepped on. It can dry out and grow brittle and break into half. It, it can do all kinds of stuff, but it can't bring forth fruit unless it's tied into the vine. And Jesus says, we can do things. He's not talking about the inability to do anything. He's just saying, you can do nothing towards that life that you were actually created for. You, you can't do anything worthwhile. You can't do anything that has any significance and any real meaning as far as God's concerned, anything of any lasting good, anything that he would consider fruit, right? And we, we talked about fruit. We talked about fruit last week and the week before. Last week, we broke it down, and I want us to think in terms of the fruit that comes out of our lives in the three things that we talked about really highlighted last week. One is this. Um, that we cannot produce in our lives the fruit that God wants. One of them was this life that, because of what happens in it, our story becomes really a series of stories of God, right? God's stories, that when people hear or they see our life, it opens up heaven, they see God, right? They see that God actually exists and he's, he's at work because he's at work in us, okay? So one's a significant life, another is character, this idea that God is, is transforming us so that our character is becoming more and more like the character of Christ, the character of God. That's the fruit that he wants to produce. And the other is, is our actions that God wants to produce in us. He wants to produce through us and work through us the miraculous, the impossible, that it would come about through prayers that we pray, 
or through when we pray for someone and it, you know, things like healing and miracles and provision, all those kind of things that he wants to work those things in us. And those are the things, those are things that, that open up this kind of open, pull that veil back so that people see, you know what? This world is not the only thing that exists. God exists and there is a power that is beyond this world and beyond what we work kind of on our own. And he said his intention is that our lives would be these kind of powerful lives that produce these kind of fruits in them. But he says, but apart from me, you can do none of that, right? So if we're separated from Christ, none of that fruit is going to be that God intended, that we were made for, none of it's going to come about. Now, I think personally that we're, we are all constantly pursuing that kind of a life. We may not even put it in those terms, but we are all pursuing a life that's significant, that means something. We're all pursuing a, a character that other people look at and say, that's, that's, that's good, that's, ad, that's admirable, that's worth, worth modeling my life after. There, we're all looking for um, impact in this world through our actions that changes things, that moves things to the better. So we're all pursuing those things. That's like built into us, this desire that we have. But we have three ways that we pursue it. We have three different ways that we, we chase after it. The, the first way I think that we chase after it is we chase after it apart from Jesus. And so we try and build a life of significance apart from Jesus. We try and do something like through a career or through building this like meaning, this powerful network of relationships and connections with other people that, that moves and shakes. And, and we try and build, uh, or maybe what we try and do is we try and present the image of a very significant life without actually having the content. I mean, you see that a lot on social media, right? You see a lot of pretty pictures, but then maybe you dig into the life or you say, wait, I know that person, right? Uh, that, that kind of life, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. They just take good pictures, right? And, and whether it's on social media or some of us just try to do that with the way that we message or the way that we let information out or the way that we dress ourselves or the things that we buy, we try and project this life that has significance that really is fairly empty. But we, try to, we are trying to build this life of significance apart from Jesus. We try to craft our character, so that it's something that other people would desire or be envious of or at least think is worthwhile, right? And so we try to make ourselves, we, we might try and build up like a power that people say, wow, that, that's impressive, the, the way that they are able to can kind of control their environment or, or, or the way that we discipline ourselves and get things done and they say, isn't that amazing how much they can get done because of how much focus they have or we become very creative and artistic or we become very cultured and, and, and wise, because we want people to look at our character and say, that's, that's worth, that's valuable. And we pursue also activities that we hope will change the world, change the world for the better according to our framework, whatever that is, right? And so we, we, uh, we will march in causes, we'll support candidates, we'll give our time and our, our resources to different charities or different uh, communities that we invest in because we hope to turn the tide of this world and move it towards this kind of idea of utopia that we have, that this, this idea of the best in our kind of idea of it and we try and do it, but we're trying to do it apart from Jesus, right? And so that's one way to pursue this, but we're still pursuing the same life. We're pursuing that fruit. We're just trying to do it without Jesus. The other way to do it, uh, the second way, is, is to do this the way that John 15 talks about, 
where we give ourselves to God and we say, you know what, I cannot do this apart from him. I can do nothing, so I need to be tied in with him. I need to abide in him. And so we ask God, we seek for our story to become this series of God's stories, where it's not about what we can accomplish on our own. It's about what God almost does in spite of us, right? In spite of our greatest brokenness, he shows how powerful he is and how powerful his grace is. And it shows these stories about how he rescues and he transforms and he redeems. And he's the one that brings in his salvation, even through somebody as broken as me. So my story becomes God's story. And that's where it finds its significance and his power. And again, I mean, the heavens are open and people see God because it's not me. It's like, wow, that's a life that obviously you didn't do that on your own. Also, my character, we, I turn myself over to God. I say, God, you got to prune me. You got to shape me because I want my character to reflect more of you. And so I don't try and give excuses for like my anger or my greed or my, I don't give it. Instead, I say, God, yeah, I agree. I, I confess. I, I say the same thing as you about these things. They got to go so that they can make room for you to bring in kindness and bring in goodness and bring in your character instead of mine. And we pursue these actions in our lives. We start praying for God for the experiences and the, the efforts of our lives to bring forth, to, bring, to produce things that are so far beyond our ability to produce, right? Because we start praying for the miraculous, right? We start praying for God to heal when we know there's no possible way that medicine... There's no possible way for science. There's no possible way for pure human effort or for just the way of nature to heal this thing. We know it's not, but we, got, we pray for God to heal it anyway. We pray for God to provide. We pray for God to move in ways to heal, to save, to, to, um, to, to bring in provision and resources that, that we have no idea where they'll come from, but we ask for God to do this. And what Jesus says is, you know what? This is the life that I want for you. And so when you start investing in this, I, he says, I get behind this and I start bringing this life in. And this becomes the life that you, you know and experience. So that's the second way we pursue it. Apart from Christ, we pursue it with Christ. But there's this other way that I think we sometimes go at it. And, and the, I want to spend some time on this because I think by far, one is the most destructive, it's the most deceitful, it's the most insidious, it, it's also the most popular. It's the most popular, I think, even among those who say that they are followers of Jesus. Those of us who have, have really given our lives to Christ, but, but the problem is, is we haven't quite given our lives to Christ, right? I mean, we, we like that because this is the, the, the approach where we try and gain this life where we can kind of have our cake you know, and eat it too. We can, we can stay in control of our life, but we can have Jesus come and bless it anyway. Right, So the miracles and the good and all that come in, but I still get to kind of call the shots. And what I want to call that, I would call that my, my Jesus as my good luck charm type of a life, right? He's the bobblehead I put on my dashboard. You know, I have the Jesus bobblehead and I drive however I want, but I trust that the Jesus bobblehead is going to keep me from getting in an accident, right? He's the, the Jesus I wear around my neck because I'm going to live however I want, but I'm going to believe that this little Jesus, my good luck charm here, Jesus is going to keep me from anything bad and can move me into success. It's kind of that life of, I get, to, <clears throat> I get to have Jesus, but I don't have to devote myself to him, right? I don't have to give myself 
completely to him. And so in this one, I try to write my story out the way that I want it to go. And I try and include just enough Jesus stuff in it, right? That he'll still bless everything I want to do. That's the Jesus is my good luck charm. So I'll throw in some, maybe some going to church or some doing good for some other people. Uh, maybe every once in a while reflecting to see if I'm being a good person, you know, that type of thing. Um, and, but then in return, I ask God, I ask God to make sure that he, he gives me every, makes my life enviable, right? He, he lifts me up and he makes me successful to everyone who's around me. So I kind of get the best of God's without having to give up anything I didn't, you know, that I wanted. Um, as far as the characteristics, the character of God, I try, and, I try and grab hold of those characters that make sense, that benefit me, right? And so I'll, I'll try and grab hold of like joy. I want joy in my life. I, I try and grab hold of peace any way I can get it, you know? And it's just, yeah, the peace, you know, wherever it comes from, that's good. I'm, I want that trait. I might even throw in some self-discipline because that can help you get some places in this world, get things accomplished. But I leave behind some of the harder ones, like self-sacrifice, like humility, like faithfulness, even when it costs you, those type of traits of God. I leave those ones out, right? Because I'm not in this for all that. I just want the good stuff. I, and I try to do those things that get me ahead in this life, those things that really get me the success I want. And I try and, you know, in the action category, the things where I invest my energies and my, my efforts, I try, and, I try and figure out this equation, right? How, what's the minimum amount that I need to do for Jesus to get him to do for me the things I want him to do, right? That's the, that's the Jesus as my good luck charm. And it has nothing to do with John 15. It has nothing to do with scripture. It has nothing to do with the relationship that Jesus offered to us. Because you see, at the core of this good luck charm Jesus is this idea that somehow that I can take possession of Jesus. I can lay hold of him. And, and we need to know that Jesus never came, never had it in his mind that we would ever be able to take possession, lay hold of him, take command of him for our purposes. Everything that we lay hold of, we're, if we're a dead branch on the ground and we say, come graft yourself into me, what's going to come of that thing? We just bring death and destruction to that thing. So we say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't want you to be the vine. I want to be the vine. You graft yourself into me, get done what I want. And we're going to find that all that happens is that Jesus would become, he would just inherit the same death and destruction that we bring to everything else that we lay hold of. The, the beauty of the invitation that Jesus offers us in this invitation he gives us into this relationship is that he offers an invitation to us, a relationship where he lays hold of us and he drags us into his life and his purpose and his power, instead of us dragging along our death and our emptiness and our destruction. And so he, this, this salvation that he brings, he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. And apart from, me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And the truth is, you know, the good luck charm Jesus, he doesn't even exist. The only Jesus that exists he is the Lord of the universe. He has a name above every name. He was the one who won the only victory that counts for anything in this world. 
The only victory, because all other victories go back to this one. All other accomplishments, all other gains of anything worthwhile go back to this one. When Jesus, he entered into death by his own authority. He laid down his own life. He took control of death. He took absolute, denied it of its power. And then he walked out of death on his own authority so that then he could then ascend back to heaven, take his seat at the right hand of God and receive that name. So he's not a God to be, he is not the one to be taken hold of, to be taken possession of, for us to take authority over and to dictate. He says, no, the only Jesus that exists is the Lord of the universe who has won this victory. So when I try to take Jesus for my own purpose, I'm simply making up a fairy tale. I am doing what they did in the Old Testament. I'm doing what you know, people have done for all time, where you make up your own God, you put him in this little box, you make maybe a little statue of him, your little bobblehead on your thing, and you say, this is the Jesus I worship. The problem is that Jesus doesn't work. He doesn't have any power. He doesn't exist. Because there is only one. And he's Lord, and he invites us to allow him to take hold of us. He is not helping. He will not help us to attain the best life that we can imagine. Why? Because he can imagine so much more. And that's the life that he intends for us. He is not supporting. He will not support our half-baked attempts at character. Why? Because he knows if we end up with those, we'll just be bringing harm to ourselves and harm to all those around us, just like we always do when we come up with our own schemes. He is not willing to produce, and he will not produce trivial little successes in our lives and call them miracles. Because his intention is that through each one of us, he would show the very power and the very glory of God. That is his end. That's his goal. He says, that's the life that I've intended for you. It is life that is truly significant. It's the life that has true, truly the, the eternal character of God. It's also a life that in his actions just reveal the very power of heaven through the impossible. It's also a life that when we enter by abiding in Christ, when we enter by allowing him, and not only being paired with him, also being paired by him, when we allow his power in our lives to be what controls and what guides and what what, what creates and crafts them, we, we enter into this place in uh, this place where we can take, there's a verse in Philippians 3.12 where Christians, followers of Jesus throughout all of time, throughout the history of the church have said, this is what describes my life. Not that I have completely obtained this life yet. Not that I'm absolutely have become perfect. But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. Right? I let him lay hold of me so that through him laying hold of me, I can actually lay hold of that life that I've been chasing after, that I was made for, that is wired in me. I desire a life of fruitfulness. So where does that power come from? Where does that capacity, that dunamis, where does it come from? Yes, it's about abiding in. It's about being paired with Jesus. Yes, it's about being paired by the Father, being, being pruned by him. But it's also about the one 
who uh, just prior to our passage in, in these 11 verses, just prior, there's this, this passage in, in chapter 14, and there's just following in, in chapter 15 and the later part of that, where Jesus starts talking about this one that he will give to us, this one who he will send to us called the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the helper, literally the one who comes alongside because he has access to all the resources, all the power, all the ability that we do not have in ourselves. He comes alongside to be that one who resources us in the life that we are called to. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But he's also saying, you know what? Apart from the spirit of God, you can do nothing. But in him, in the spirit, all things, all things are possible. All things, the impossible becomes possible. That we should be called the, the, the children of God, that we should be the ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, that we should be those who actually give this picture in this world of who Jesus is. How does that happen? Well, apart from him, none of it happens. But in the power of his spirit that he sends, everything is possible. All of that is possible. In the end of the book of Luke, and then at the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke actually wrote both the book of Luke and the book of Acts, story of Jesus and the story after Jesus about what the followers of Jesus did in the church. And, and so the end of the book of Luke and the beginning of, of the book of Acts kind of overlap and it's telling about Jesus and he's giving these last instructions um, to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. He's just risen from the dead, just come out with all authority and power. He's about to go and take his seat at the right hand of God. And the thing he doesn't say, he doesn't say, so go out there and tell all these stories because these stories in themselves have the power to change lives. He doesn't say that. He doesn't tell them. He doesn't say, go out there and start living into the character. The things that I've taught you about living by your own power, start living into these things. Just do the best you can. He didn't say that. And he didn't say, go out and do the works. Do as good of works as you can. Try healing the sick. Try raising the dead. You know, try, try casting out demons. See how it goes. And if you can't do all that, just be nice. Just be nice. You know, just be nice people and do kind of good things. He didn't say that. Instead, in, in, first in Luke 24, 49, he says, you know what? I'm sending forth the promise. The one who is promised by my father upon you, this paraclete, I'm sending him. But you are to stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power, with dunamis, with capacity with the ability to do these things. The one who brings, who comes alongside and brings the capacity from on high. And then he said in Acts 1, at the beginning of, of, of the book of Acts, he says, and you will receive this power, this dunamis, this ability, this capacity. You will receive this dunamis when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses of me. You know, a lot of times we think of being a witness of Jesus as you go out and the best you can, you tell a story. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you will be the witnesses of me. The Holy Spirit is going to be working in you and through you in such a way that people will see the very, the very picture of who Jesus is, the very power of God coming through your life. You will be witnesses that I exist. He will show evidence to others that, that he is there. So, Here's the Holy Spirit, and, and so this dunamis, this power, he says, you'll, you receive this capacity to lay hold of this life that God always intended for you through this paraclete who's going to come and he's going to live in you. He's like the sap, you know, the sap that moves from the, the vine into the branch. 
and brings all the resources and all the nutrients and all the things that are needed for the fruit to be produced. He's the one who does that. In John 14, Jesus says that the spirit of truth, he will abide with us and he will be in us. And that's the amazing thing that God somehow, he, he, in entering this relationship with Jesus, that the very, the very person of God, the third person of the Godhead, he comes and he, he makes his home in us. He'll be with us and in us. And it says he'll teach us everything that we need to know. He'll remind us of the things that Jesus said. He will lead us into that. And then at the end of chapter 15, he says that the Holy Spirit will be the one who who testifies, who gives witness. He produces evidence of Jesus, that Jesus was ever here. And he does it in us and through us so that our lives actually become that, that picture that opens up heaven so that people start to see the reality of Jesus Christ. He's the power. He is the power. He is the dunamis that we seek, the, that capacity that we seek. It's in him. It's in the Holy Spirit in us and through us. So we say, well, how do, then do, we, how do we receive that? How do we, how do we, um, how do we enter into that? Or how does, how does that enter into us? How does that happen? This capacity, this opening up of the ability, the dunamis to live this life the way that God intended. Well, first, you know, the things we've been talking about, obviously, you know, abide in Christ. Don't settle for, you know, it's, it's not that half abide in Christ. It's you completely immerse yourself in Jesus. That, that's, that's the only thing that really we have much control over at all. It's just this agreement to enter into this life in Jesus and just, just dwell there. Just spend time with him. Just be in his word. Just soak in it. Be in Christ. Abide. So pair yourself with him. Second, allow the father as the vine dresser to come and pair you, right? To do his work. Be in agreement with him. So we've talked about those. But, but the other piece of this is don't be satisfied without the fullness of his power. Don't go running out and in the best of your ability just be a nice person who has some nice Jesus stories to tell about something you kind of half know about. Don't settle until he has clothed you with the power that you become a witness of him just by what happens in your life, what he, what he does in you and through you. Don't settle. So our story should become, you know, we, we, we ask, well, how, how do I know when the power of God is on me? You will know because when the power of God has filled you, when the Holy Spirit is, is coursing through you, you'll know it because your story will become a series of God's stories. That's what he does when he shows up because your character will begin to be transformed. You won't even want the old character anymore. You will start seeing that this character is just produced in you, the, the fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the self-sacrifice, the humility, all of that will begin to be produced in you through the Holy Spirit. You will find that God starts answering your prayers in amazing ways. That he doesn't just settle for you to have these little trivial kind of, you know, I prayed that I'd get a parking spot and God got it for me. You know, keep praying for parking spots. God cares about all the details of our life. But man, if that is the limit of what God's doing in your life, you're not seeing the fullness of his spirit. Because he says, you'll lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover. 
He says that you will, you will just say a few words that you're not even sure of the full significance of them and they'll change a life just in a, in a moment. They'll be turned. You'll be undoing. You'll see the provision of God come in from places that you had. So don't settle. He says like at the end of Luke, he says, you know, just cry out until God clothes you with this power from on high because that is his purpose until his spirit is just coursing through every aspect of your life. And you're seeing the evidence of God's spirit in your life. Second is this, and this is just a personal one for us because I think we do it all the time. I do, and I want you to know that. Don't settle for the good luck charm Jesus. Don't settle for a life where you think you're getting just enough of God that he will help you get all the things that you want. Don't settle for that. You know, in James 4, 4, it says, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? That if you seek to make yourself a friend with this world so that you can check all the boxes so that everyone admires you in this world, do you not know that you're making yourself an enemy to God? Because everything that he's seeking for you, it so transcends anything You know, he says that he is willing to give us beyond what we ask or even can imagine through his son and through the power of his spirit and through his, just his, his will for us is so much more than that. So don't settle, don't settle for that. Apart from Jesus as Lord, we can do nothing. Amen. And finally though, this, um, test yourself. Right? Put yourself in those places where um, you're going to find out very clearly uh, whether you are trying to control the Holy Spirit or whether the Holy Spirit has control of you. Whether you're trying to lay hold of Jesus or whether Jesus has laid hold of you. And one of the most amazing places, one of the best places to see that challenge is in that place of worship. Because when you come to a place of worship where God invites us to come up into the heavenly places and to just sit in his his presence to just be with our father, not even our father. You know, he's called our, our Abba, our daddy. He, he is so intensely familiar and intimate with us in the way that he, he's not a king that sits us and makes us wait our turn. He's like a, a dad that calls us up. As soon as he sees us, the joy just erupts in his heart. We get to sit with our father in this place of worship. So, if when you get to worship, you're more concerned about what everybody might be thinking about what's going on in you that's sitting around you than you are about thinking about the God that you get to spend time with, you may be in this place where you're trying to have Jesus and control him too. Have the spirit and control what he does in you, right? Let those times do their work and bring to the surface these, you know, If we come to God's presence and our hands are full and our hearts are full and our minds are full, then there's nowhere he's gonna be able to pour in. We're called to come to Jesus completely empty and anything that we're holding on to is so loosely that he can take it at any moment because it's all his and we're his. And the only thing that matters is that we abide in him and that he He trims us so that this fruit is produced that we can't make on our own. That's our life. And so when we come to him, we come and we come hungry for him. We come desperate for his spirit and the fullness of his power. 
his dunamis just flowing through us and in us and wanting nothing but him. Wanting nothing but that capacity to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. Amen?